So, howdy doodies, iTunes podcast listeners and YouTube perusers. You are tuned in to Frivolous Gravitas. I'm your host, Christopher Driver, and with me, as always, the diligent and magnanimous Mr. Jordan Roy. Today, we're going to delve into our awareness and control systems of bias. Um, Jordan's going to start us off with some definitions first, namely that of implicit bias, and show us whether or not it even is a problem needing to be solved and then take stock of some considerations in analyzing and testing for that bias in general. So sit back, grab a snack, and hope you enjoy. Jordan, take us away. Now we will go on the roller coaster of fun. Okay, so... Fun! (laughs) Fun Fun is illegal. But yeah, so one of the things, we talked last week a lot about bias. This is kind of like a second of two parts. But um, like Chris says, we're going to start with a couple definitions, I guess. And... One of the things is specifically implicit bias. So last week we talked about bias in general, I guess, right? Fueling bias and how your bias can eat you alive. Fueling bias. Yeah. So this week I want to talk about a lot more of the technical aspects of bias, um, as Chris mentioned already. Uh, And so I think a good place to start with that would be to ask the question. Well, okay, not ask the question. I'll just say um, what implicit bias is, is a... Um, like I said, a unconscious or automatic judgment that affects our actions. So something that happens just behind the scenes. If you're a Freudian, it's, you know, the subconscious or the unconscious, um, just one of the automatic processes that we have. So a lot of times this comes up in the, you know, if you might've seen this at work where, um, They force you to take a test, which we are going to talk about a lot today. The implicit, the implicit bias test. Yeah. The implicit aptitude test. And I should know this, but we'll use acronyms, the IAT. The IAT. (laughs) So the IAT, they force companies will, um, you know, go to a company that's probably formed in the last three years and uh, say, oh, we want to get this accreditation that we are a progressive company um, that, you know, actually cares about current social issues, you know, hello, fellow children, that kind of thing. And um, they bring in an expert, which I use in heavy air quotes, which um gives up administers a test and forces and and lets everyone see uh their biases so in in thought this is a good idea you know it it makes sense on the surface because you know you're showing everybody to be more inclusive and understanding blah 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 but if everyone's working with each other chances are that they don't care the color of the, the the sex or the anything of the person they're working with. In fact, they probably know and they talk about it at lunch being like, oh, well, you've got ADD, so you're an idiot. Ah, and then, you know, the person with ADD laughs because they know that they're not actually making fun of them. They're aware of the differences between them, but they don't care because what's important is, well, the job, making money, getting the product out, uh, doing a good job, whatever it is that you, your comedy troupe or brickmaker does. And so it's, an exercise in enforcing or making unconscious self uh, more of a self-aware. So having more self-aware employees, you can do this and you can have a more open and diverse and inclusive environment where people don't hurt each other. Now, I don't know what world they're living in, but it's one where they believe that uh, everyone is attacking each other because in reality, if a bad company 
will exacerbate the worst in anything. You know, good company, people won't care. One of the things that I we talk about, um, at least in my household, is that if you're incompetent, whatever thing you have that differentiates you will be picked on. It's not the fact that you are that. It's the fact that you are incompetent. So, well, that's something we'll get to a bit later maybe. So, the test measures what we would call um, implicit bias, which revolves in implicit cognition, which I talked about last week to some extent, eh, very briefly. So, implicit cognition is that process itself, the, 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 the processes, the cognitive sets that you have in your mental set in using psychological terms uh, to make the decisions. And the bias are the um, are those opinions that your brain has hard-coded into its uh, you know, functioning. Now, the question is that I'm leading up to is, does implicit bias actually exist? Now, I, from what I've talked about, I don't like the idea of implicit bias tests. I don't like where it's coming from. I don't like the purpose. I don't like why they're administering it. I don't like the end goal. I don't like anything about it. So, but it's still worthwhile to ask whether or not implicit bias itself, the thing that they're testing for, is something that actually exists. So, on one hand, uh, if we say there isn't, well, okay, if there isn't implicit bias, then how do we make judgments? Um, okay, I don't really have much of an argument for this. Maybe if you've got one. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, because I've got good arguments. Well, my only, I, I guess it's more of a question than, uh, or a yeah. comment to it, but like what makes us feel if we have these unconscious biases that are negatively impacting society, what makes us feel that we're competent enough to even have an authority figure analyze and assess and test these types of biases? You know right. I mean? If everyone has implicit bias, then how can we have someone test for implicit yeah. bias without so if being it exists, implicitly biased? By definition, <laughs> if it exists, by definition, then there shouldn't be an authority on it because everybody should be susceptible to, to it. Right. So, so on premise alone, it's just confusing to me. Well, the, um, the answer to that that I've heard is that um, – some biases are healthy, like you know you, you you perform a paradox on their brains and then they'll just uh, they'll, they'll go from the the Mott into the Bailey. So um, the Mott and Bailey form of argumentation is where you put out something like you know kill all white people and it's like well we don't act and you know and someone say well you don't actually mean kill like you can't kill people like killing people is bad and it's like then they retreat to the bailey which is their 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 sub well what we're actually meaning is that we want to destroy a system of uh patriarchal uh, patriarchal and and uh racial hegemony okay so you're not actually saying kill all white people but when you say kill all white people you actually probably do mean kill all white people because when you're saying something ironically, the thing that you have to realize is that you're still saying it. So, <laughs> this is why you have to be careful with irony and why when it's done right, it's sometimes hilarious. So Always hilarious. I love irony. <laughs> done well is – which is why like, you know, a comedian who can do it well is so great. So, there isn't social bias and I think I can't really defend it because to me, there actually is – Social bias. You know, I wrote here in my notes, I just wrote, duh. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. That was 
great note taking. Hundred percent. Well, let's put it another way then. If we didn't have social bias, what would the world look like? We had no biases whatsoever. Every time we did something simple, like tying our shoelaces or going outside or before we speak, like we wouldn't be able to have a flowing conversation. If you've got to check yourself at every single step and syllable, everything it would be like interacting with a computer. Yeah, it would be exactly like that. If you ever listen to a computer play music. Like, it's hard to say exactly what sounds off about it, but there's no flow to it. There's no feeling or emotion in a a computer playing music. It's it's just perfectly timed intervals of all the sine waves that are combined. Or, well, you you discriminate and you have a bias towards certain music that you like, right? So, you have uh, 50 songs and then you make them flow. You put them in an order that'd be like, okay, this one and then this one. So, you're using your discriminate. You're using your implicit bias in order to discriminate. Now, discriminate is something that we do do and discrimination is not a bad thing because, well, you need to discriminate between the things that you want to do and the things that you don't, the things that are Especially when it comes to punishment, right? Imagine if we didn't discriminate between criminals. We just locked everybody up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is kind of what's happening here with the Inquisition. Mm. So, we, what implicit, without implicit bias, you're essentially taking that, what, you know, your perfectly curated flow of songs and music and just pressing shuffle. <laughs> no, everything gets equal opportunity to be uh, at any point in the thing and it's run by a thing. So, like, we need discrimination as humans. Now, the problem with it is, is that when we act as groups, the factor on which we're evaluating um, implicit bias isn't always the same. Now, when you're using an implicit bias test or the IAT is specifically measuring for certain types of bias, you know, very specific and actually very um, inconsequential. Well, not inconsequential, but they're like one of a thousand types of biases that we have. We have biases of everything. I've got a bias for a hockey team. Guess which one it is. If you go back in our thing, you can probably see the jersey in the background. Go Penguins! What? <laughs> Just kidding. Is well, I'm a, I'm biased towards the Jets. Not so much biased that I'll hate the other team for beating them. They suck this year. It's been two games and they're terrible. <laughs> I'm biased, so I want them to do better, um, and I want to see them do better. There's no real point to me enjoying the Jets. None of the players are from Winnipeg. Um, I lived in Winnipeg. That's about the only factor involved. Um, historically, I used to cheer for them when I was a kid. So, who knows? And I like hockey over – I have a bias from hockey over any other thing. Um, hobbyists. I like shooting guns. I'm not – I'm going to have a bias towards that activity. So, oh, you want to go to the range or do you want to go frolic around the maypole? Ugh. Well, mm, maypoles are fun, but uh, I think I'm going to have to choose the range. Uh, or do you want to go watch a NASCAR uh, show? It's like, no, I do not want to watch NASCAR. No, I do not. But if you're from the southern states and you know your, fa- your father was a mechanic maybe, you probably would love NASCAR. Like there's no wrong – that's not a wrong thing. We can make fun of you for it and it's not bad to make fun of you for liking NASCAR. It's expected that you make fun of us for liking hockey. And the Jets especially. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. They're just so bad this year. Yeah, they, they give us reason for shame. I, I had hope because they shuffled the thing. Um, <clears throat> t-shirt color. I like wearing a red shirt. I think I look good in a red shirt. I wear red shirts on Canada Day too um, because, you know, it's Canada Day. You know, like 
wear a red shirt with a white shirt in the middle to, you know, make it look like the Canada flag. But I don't, it's in another, this is another form of implicit bias that we have. I like the color green. So, if I have a choice between shirt colors, I'm going to choose the green one because I, I like the color green. Now, here's one. Sex. Well, we're kind of implicitly biased towards, you know, the yes side of sex, right? Um, yeah, generally. So, that's kind of an implicit physical bias. If you say, would you like to live your entire life without sex or not? Well, there's going to have to be a good reason. Maybe I'm implicitly biased towards Jesus and I don't want to have, you know, go and uh, have sex. You know, that's... But even in that case, there's such a such a tiny, tiny, minute population of people who are Christians who actually endorse celibacy for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so like the implicit bias that our, our bodies and minds, which are the same thing, deal with it. Uh, that's kind of Harari's kind of opened me that it's like, there's no difference. Um, and I think Peterson talked about that a bit too, but we'll have to have a philosophy episode on dualism, the mind body yeah, problem. Mind body. It's just, it makes more sense to just be like, you are everything in the, that your body is, but, um, your body is, has an implicit bias towards, um, yes, please, when it comes to sex, uh, or else the species wouldn't have propagated, which is why when Christians um, maintain celibacy, it's seen as a heroic act because to some extent to maintain celibacy in the face of temptation for an entire life, that's willpower of, you know, worthy of admiration. Like that guy had so much discipline under so much temptation and he didn't, you know, he didn't touch any boys or anything. He didn't have a secret mistress. He didn't, you know, go on the internet at night and look at, you know, say, oh yes, I have taken no temptation. You know, he didn't do anything. That's heroic because of the implicit bias. But Um, even some people that are asexual, like there's still going to be the temptation with them to please another person who is sexual who does yeah. want to have sex, right? Mm-hmm. So, even I when a person doesn't personally have a bias towards it, they'll have a social bias towards it. Yeah, and I can't speak to eunuchs either um, because honestly, I have no idea how that would change things. Um, the thing of it is, is that it does exist. And when we boil a implicit bias test, so where is your implicit bias? So, now, some people have uh, this is not going to be controversial, I promise. Uh, <laughs> some people have an implicit bias towards liking people of the same sex. We call them gay or lesbian. Or bi if they have an implicit bias to everything. Um, and this is not, this is an implicit bias. When I was growing up and I was coming of age, I noticed I had an implicit bias to certain types of women uh, and not others. And you know, even among attractive uh, women and girls, you know, I was like 12, uh, I liked certain types, the tomboyish types and stuff like that. I don't know why, but I had an implicit bias towards it, whether it was psychological or chemical. I don't know. That's just the way I was brought up. So, it made sense to me for someone to, you know, it's just like, well, I like this. So, it made sense to me for someone to have an implicit bias towards someone of, you know, an opposite or the same sex or the opposite sex or just anything really. So, I guess we could call it the sex bias. Sex bias. <laughs> well, let's randy it up a bit. Yeah. We're going to talk about sex today. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from sex. I also wrote <clears throat> chess club. 
uh, you know, the people in chess club are going to have an implicit bias towards the other people in chess club. This is in-group behavior. We have an implicit bias towards people of our same group. And so, well, would we, would, should we test for this? No, that's stupid. Why would we test for it? Everyone in the chess club is going to have an implicit bias towards everyone in the, in the, everyone else in the chess club. We don't need to test for that. It's obvious. So having an implicit bias test, you know, saying, uh, you know, where you like have someone, a picture of someone in the chess club come up, you know, and you press one button and you have someone not in the chess club come up and you press another button. Like we don't need to have some kind of test for that. So the variable that you're testing, now, the variable we're testing here is race. And the thing that it comes from is, um, well, you have, uh, it's testing for the strength of, so the test itself, the implicit aptitude or associate, sorry, the implicit association test is something that was designed in the uh, early 2000s uh, based on um, some scholarship in the 90s that said like we can what if we could find out where people's biases were that they don't know? So you might actually like, um, well, what it's testing for is there's an assumption that people don't know they're racist. People don't know they're sexist. They automatically assume that, you know, dark, bad, light, good. Now, to me, a lot of that is like, yes, humans have always associated white with purity because a white sheet is clean. And cleanliness in the ancient world was something that was, well, dirty equals death. And something that's dirty is usually gray or brown or something. This doesn't have anything to do with skin color. Yes, some people might have associated it, but those people were idiots. Um, the early, uh, what do you call them, scientific sociologists were definitely, um, by today's standards, what we would call incorrect. <laughs> and for context, this is also a time when uh, they believed in witches and exorcism. They believed in phrenology, the science yeah. that the shape of your skull dictates how smart or intelligent yeah. or what human characteristics you have. Like we were still figuring out material reality back then. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's not weird for people to associate good and bad with light and dark just in terms of like cleanliness being next to godliness, like you said, because clean mm. things don't get as much disease and die soon. So yeah. it, it's not about these people are all evil because of their skin color. It's more like the reverse where everything that's white and black and then they just relate to skin color afterwards. So it's right, like an which afterthought. Is, which is a metaphorical association in the first place because right. I'm not white. I'm pink. pink. <laughs> and then black people aren't black. Um, they're brown. Brown. Like the darkest black people are like chestnut. <laughs> yeah, and Asian people aren't yellow. Like No. Why? Aboriginal people aren't red. Like no. it, the oversimplification is what people are just clinging to and then they're obsessing over those details as if that's the be all end all of racism is color. Right. To so, me it's more to do with groups of people than it does about skin color. Well, one thing I was I, that kind of blew my mind when I was in like third year university is someone said that like there's more diversity within groups than between groups, like which blows racism out of the water. Like racism is always rid already ridiculous. Uh, I think we talked about that in our levity episode where, you know, racist jokes are funny because racism is inherently stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but and the so, funny thing is the testing is almost just as stupid 
Uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead of you a little bit, but like in, in the example of, much, but. <laughs> yeah, in the example of the discrimination of music, right? Mm. If I were to say that I have my own taste in music and that's, that's my own preference. And then if I were to dictate those preferences across all human beings and saying everybody who doesn't like my music likes a lesser form of music, that's Which not people do. <laughs> yeah, but go on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they square that peg with, um, diversity and inclusion. You say you well, want everybody to be different and everybody needs to be inclusive and then we deny people's individualities. Well, it's part of the new religion that's besetting our world that there's racism, which is against black people or non-white people or BIPOC or whatever. Um, and then there's the other side of it, which is wasps, white people like me. <laughs> so I'm inherently racist and prejudiced and biased because I have an ingrained, what do they call it? Um, historical, uh, prejudice towards, uh, certain groups of people, which is ridiculous <laughs> because isn't that I, the same as like original sin, like it, being it sinful from birth and having, um, inherited the sins of your parents. Like we know that's absurd because I didn't do anything that my parents did now. Okay. Original sin is something I think is actually fascinating, but it is, you, you hit on a point that's, uh, that I didn't actually write down that I should have, uh, because yeah, it's, I have original sin. And so this test is to test for your amount of original sin. And then just like in the church, you have to do penance for being, uh, white. So that means groveling before random black people, uh, asking for forgiveness for just being, you know, uh, saying things, uh, putting your merit away, um, that kind of things. Now, original sin isn't actually something I think is, um, the simplistic definition of original sin. Now, original sin itself actually kind of makes sense because we're all kind of born broken and that's the sin. It's not the sin as in like we're tainted by Lucifer. We're just, we're originally created, uh, whether by God or just a fluke of nature, which might literally just be the same thing, <laughs> and, um, to screw up by nature of the way we're built. Like we can't know if whatever we do is going to be the right or the wrong thing. We're going to sin no matter how hard we try. Thus, sin. Not we sin because we're sinful. No, we sin because we're human. That's original sin to me. Uh, if you are Christian or Protestant or Catholic or whatever you are in the comments, please enlighten me and we'll have a debate on original sin uh, if you have want to defend a position. Well, the original sin was supposedly uh, Adam and Eve's mm -hmm. um, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then we all inherited that type of sin, the betrayal of God and the, the not listening to his word. And so the punishment is mm -hmm. all our hardships through life. Yeah. Because we, we turned our backs on God. But no, we didn't. Like, we didn't. No, we didn't. The, like, sins of the father. Like, right. So, when you're born, God's saying, like, you're an asshole because you sinned. And the baby's like, what the fuck? I just got here. Right. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, like, we, I don't have to pay for the sins of my grandfather. Now, my great-grandfather was a businessman from, I don't know, I was just looking at some of the records. He came from a town called Semichel, which is by Lviv in Galicia, which is now part of Poland. And uh, I don't think he had anything to do with um, the American uh, 
slave trade. So, well, okay, but everyone in the Western world is complicit in this. Well, I'm Canadian. I wasn't really born. And so, this contradictory philosophy, which assumes that once, you know, that everyone when they're born is a tabula rasa, but at the same time, uh, certain people have either uh, historical um, uh, uh, trauma, which is, you know, genetic trauma via epigenetics, which is something I've heard people say, some people in um, positions of uh, authority in even my life say like, oh, well, they have genetic trauma from what happened in the past. No, that's not how that works. It's much more like you need to do your research. That well, some of it I, is a genetic trauma though. Like if, if right. uh, during the but potato if, famine or whatever. In, that's where it in, comes from. Yeah. But it's pretty much, it, 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 it goes away. Like it's completely physical and it goes away within two generations. Like, the thing is like anxiety disorders or mental mm -hmm. mental problems or um, some people even say like homosexuality and stuff is part of that, which is obviously yeah. probably wrong, but not guaranteed to be wrong. But the thing about it is they're, they're claiming to know things that they don't actually know. So there might be an inference towards something that's worth studying, but that doesn't mean that it exists. It just right. means that it's worth looking into. And without the data and science to look into it, people claiming one way or the other, whether it does exist or it doesn't exist, are both wrong because neither of them could possibly know because we haven't figured out mental illness yet. So no. <laughs> um, we're currently in the stage where we're calling every abnormality uh, mental illness without actually defining what the baseline is because if you define the baseline you know if you define what's normal then well who wants to be that guy who defines the normal person where everyone else in the world just be like that's not me <laughs> so, and could you imagine being that guy he'd feel so boring like oh i'm the most normal person on earth uh. <laughs> hi i'm brandon <laughs> it's just kind of a dark beige <laughs> but i think you touched on something there with the trauma because until we figure out what trauma is telling people that we know what trauma is is just flat out wrong well, and i think that's part of the problem is like they're claiming to know that a test a proves that somebody has this type of bias that has caused this type of trauma like they don't know the bias they don't know the trauma and they right. don't know the conditions well, and like we've gone like we we both have gone through certain degrees of trauma and I bet you all of our listeners have too. Um, don't put your trauma in the comments. It's personal. Um, <laughs> so trigger well, we warning. Won't... Yeah, trigger warning. Uh, I hate trigger warnings. Um, that'll be in my safety episode. Uh, <laughs> my alarm clock is a trigger warning. Every time I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, there's a real life around me now. I'm not in dreaming. <laughs> so, but like we, what was I talking about? Oh yeah. Okay. So, but like we're all, we're all, we all have trauma. We all have this thing. And to say that some person that makes double what I do, uh, running a, uh, bias test, uh, has more trauma than me and therefore can judge my inherent bias with a test that measures my, uh, not only measures my victim status or something like that, but, Okay, so let's let's actually talk about how this 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 test works. So what happens is it comes off of this old test where they showed like kids like you've seen these tests online where you know they say, "Look, this is how we're treating our kids," and they show kids like brown dolls and kids like white dolls, and like, which one do you like better? And the kid goes, "I like this one better," and randomly or something. Chubby Barbies. <laughs> yeah, I like chubby Barbies, and they like the skinny one better. I wonder why? Because that one's healthy. 
So, (laughs) (laughs) joking people. (laughs) So what I'm, and so it's it's it looks good and it it seems scientific because you're doing a test. But what you need in a test is not just one test; you need multiple tests. But so someone, a group of guys at uh, Harvard, built a test in the uh, in the 2010s, early 20. 20 aughts late early anyway around 2010 king came out in 2012 or 20 around then i don't have the number on here it's not on the screen um 10 to 15 years ago so they built this test and to measure this and what you do and it kind of makes sense is that it flashes a picture of someone up and you have two keys and you're supposed to react within the first like milliseconds so you react without thinking as so your unconscious is the one at work so you're automatically putting your unconscious to be the one at work and you press two keys and you say okay one key is good one key is bad and they train you a bit like a like a like a lie detector test a polygraph where like do you live at home and you're like yes uh do you eat food for breakfast yes have you ever ridden a dinosaur no okay so now we have a baseline so now you're you're getting into it good Good things are good. Bad things are bad. Yeah. Pain, good. No. Eh, wrong. Pain, bad. So, we can we can do this. These certain things are objectively good and certain things are objectively bad. You know. Uh, so, um, eating a poison steak, bad. <laughs> you know. Um, having a wonderful day on your birthday. Good. So well, there are certain things we can all agree on, basically, right? Yeah. Well, and then there's those, there's those like contrarians who are like, actually, I like cloudy days, and it's just like, oh, grow up. Like, I eat poison for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. well, we've all done that. I remember being like six and doing that. It's like, you know, I want to be different, so I'll just be contrarian. It's just sad when adults do that. So what ends up doing is they show you a picture of like different types of people and you'll be like good bad and you just won't think about it and it'll try and trick you a bit and it lasts for a number and then at the end it says well you are this much racist so we've measured racism uh in a person so this is a way of literally measuring the amount of racism in a person sounds cool That'd be neat. We could just be like, oh, you are 50% racist or you're like 0% racist. But one of the problems is that um, the test itself doesn't – it gives you different um, – it gives you different answers every time you take it uh, and it doesn't really work. But we have to get into why it doesn't work. So, there's a, there's a couple things. These are not – these are not explicit biases. So, you have a um, – now, there are explicit racists, people who – explicitly don't like people of other things. In fact, while studying this, I found explicit racism, which is actually kind of rare um, in at least my life. Uh, And I found like a whites dating site um, where um, they were like, keep the white race going, do all that stuff. And that was really interesting. I brought my wife down. I was like, man, get down here. I was, look at this. There's actual racism. <laughs> look, <laughs> like, I see it. I see it. I found some. <laughs> like Every once in a while, you'll meet some guy that you can just dismiss as being drunk or being an idiot or being an asshole. Because when you're like, we, we like to say, well, racism is bad. Well, of course it's bad. But at its extreme, 
at, when you take it down to boil it down to what it actually is, it's just somebody being an asshole. <laughs> so, like, and they have a complicated series of justifications for being an asshole. And some of them are pseudoscientific and some people make them political, like that dating website, keep the white race pure and all that stupid stuff. So I find mostly it's like misrepresented data. And oh, that's is. sort of what irks me so much. It's not even their, that they're misusing the data. It's or it's not oh, even then. the racism, the outcome. It's the misuse of the data that bothers me because I find that's more harmful than having a stupid opinion of a skin color. Oh, yeah. You well, can just brush you, off some idiot, but you can't brush off an idiot who's promoting science, you know, yeah. with air quotes. And so, but this is the same thing that's happening on the other side with these tests because these, the people administering the tests aren't actually misusing the data. But if you're explicitly racist and you take the test, what happens if it comes up and says you're not racist? Well, actually, that's weird. <laughs> Imagine not. they get all mad. I am. Yeah. I'm so I am racist. Totally racist. Puts on his hood, doubles down, goes on with his beautiful black wife and children. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so funny. Uh, Closet <laughs> radical. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> I but, mean, funny, not funny, obviously. Because uh, I just imagine a KKK guy comes home and he's got like a black wife and mulatto kids and he loves <laughs> them very much. And <laughs> Are you going oh. to the KKK meeting today? No, I've got a shuffleboard tournament. I promise I'll go tomorrow. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> she likes him because he's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway. I wouldn't put it past our species. We're so dumb, we would totally do stuff like that. Oh, there was like... Just let it get out of control. Yeah. And but I, I think the issue I take with these tests, if you don't mind, I sort of... No, go ahead. We, we've had these before, like the Myers-Briggs test uh, for personality types, like INFJ, ENFJ, and AMPD. Which always came across to me as like astrology, because it felt like astrology. Oh, I'm this. Yeah, <laughs> That's essentially what it is, too. Like, are you a Virgo? Are you a Leo? Or whatever. Um, yeah. And then there's, like, IQ tests. Like, they use IQ tests to determine whether somebody's mentally retarded. In other words, to, to identify a delay, not to show how smart people are. And they're taking the test the exact opposite way. Yeah. And it was... seems to me they're doing this with the implicit bias test, if maybe I'm wrong. Well, this is what you want to do. You want to categorize people and seeing like you want to find intelligence, you want to find genius, and you want to find mental deficiency. And but, you want to find – so that when you, when you can do it, you can administer the the remedy, which is uh, putting them – you know, taking them out of their position of authority. Uh, no, we got to take you – it turns out you have a low IQ, so we got to get you out of the Reichstag. But – but the, the test is, is defining the radicalism, the extremes. Right. right? That to me is what's weird. Is well, like they're implicit. taking the, the test that identifies an extreme and they're using it to the opposite extreme. Well, to, to me see how little racist you are or to, to see how smart you are. For IQ, you have a bunch of different tests and they're kind of problematic. But like if you generally score good on a bunch of IQ tests, probably you're going to be pretty intelligent. You're not going to like an idiot isn't really going to be able to do well on a bunch of IQ tests. Uh, they might get lucky on one if it's like all multiple choice and stuff like that. But it's going to be hard for someone who's not bright to do well on one of those. Um, and they're going to accidentally find themselves in Mensa or something. Um, for those who don't know, Mensa is like a group of rich people who – not rich people, um, intelligent people who like to pat themselves on the back for being intelligent. Uh, <laughs> That's literally all it is. 
Yeah. They're like, hey, we should make a group of people who score well on this retard test. We can get together and do smart people stuff. It's And so, the problem is, is that with the implicit bias test, is it's more like an inquisition. Um, it's a test to find. Now, in the Middle Ages, and now we brought up original sin, but in the Middle Ages, you get, they're looking for the devil. Now, the devil now is racism because this, this, this philosophy is, is a religion, essentially. Because we're enlightened, man. Yeah, we're enlightened. <laughs> we're scientific now. It's like, yeah, well, we're still people. But the Inquisition would go around. Now, if, okay, if you, if, I don't think I need to explain the Inquisition too much, but they would go around searching for people that were seduced by the devil or you know, in Congress with the devil, which is naughty. And um, or uh, in league or uh, what do you call it? Possessed. And so they need to go in and burn them and whatnot. And they're looking for something that can't actually be proven. And they're looking for something that is inherent to them. Oh, they're actually a witch. Well, are they actually a witch? The person in question doesn't actually know whether or not they're a witch. Uh, so it's up to the priesthood. It's up to the inquisitional priesthood to come along, lay down what the religion is, these the religion according to social justice. Those who are of the dark skin, yea, shall they inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are of the light skin, maintain the taint of sin, and we must root that sin out and expunge it from the world to maintain this, you know, glorious communist utopia or something. I don't know. And so, what we got to do is find it. And it's everywhere. It's nefarious. It's lurking in the shadows, just like the devil. And so, we administer a test. Now, to be, to give the devil his due, to keep with the metaphor, uh, two of the three people that came up with the test have disavowed this test. Um, they came out and said, this test is stupid. It doesn't actually work. I don't know what the other guy's talking about. But they came out and said, this is not a good way of finding bias. And to their credit, they weren't looking for racism when they were finding the test. They were literally looking at measuring bias itself. And so, they weren't using this as a tool to uh, – as an inquisitional tool. They were trying – they were psychologists trying to find a way to measure psychology. And two of them said, well, we were wrong. But it got picked up by um, the uh, the woke – well, I think Crowd. one of the big reasons it gained steam is because the test came out in 1995, and in 1998, yes. it was one of the biggest things on the internet. So, it was sort of like before yeah. internet tests were a thing. Yeah. It was and the it, first one. And it kind of got one of the up more steam in like 2012 when it became this thing that you could buy for your, uh, for your um, what do you call it, for your company. And so, it's a, but it's a two-part thing. You're selling a two-part product in your inquisitional uh, package, you are looking for this implicit cognition. It sounds all scientific. Now, I'm using a lot of scientific and psychological words here, but in the administration of it, it's anything but because you you do anti, uh, you administer the bias tests and then you bring in a bunch of people to do anti-bias training. Look, you all look at this bias all you guys have and, and you know, the people who, you know, do their job for a living you know, work, they don't spend time on the internet thinking about this stuff or they don't, they never, they haven't been to university in years. So, they're not up on the lunacy that's happening. And so, they 
are now administered to anti-bias training. And um, my wife had to go through this uh, in university. They send to anti-bias training every three weeks or something. And which has no actual evidence that it reduces bias in any way. Because like I said before, bias is inherent to your biology, your psychology, everything about you has a bias. You're not going to get rid of it because you're not just going to be able to randomize your interactions with everybody. And so they do stuff like finding, uh, you know, they do that, like everyone who's got this walk a step forward, everyone who's been you know, black, you know, walk a step back. And now look at how much more privilege you have than all the other people. And everyone looks around and they go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I was hurting these people simply by existing. No, you're, they're your coworkers. Like you can't be pitting people against each other like this. And that's all it does. It pits, it, it, it puts a schema around the relations of the people and pits them against each other along lines of race or sexuality, which is stupid because they're already coming together in the name of doing a good job at work, in the name of having to work together every day. Everyone's already going to complain about each other, everyone that they work with already. That doesn't mean they're biased. That just means that they're spending too much time with people. <laughs> if you... So if I may then... My question is, I don't really know how they came to decide that this was actually a productive method. Like, I don't really get how somebody decides and thinks that they are, um, uh, like, even capable of walking into a room and telling other people, like, to polarize themselves with other people and then say that they're helping socialize everybody. Do you know what I mean? It's like a kid walking into a schoolyard saying no bullies and then punches people people like they're doing the thing that they're telling everybody else to stop doing. Stop judging people by their skin color. Right. Here's an expert skin color judge to tell you that you're doing it. Well, that's why I call it a priesthood, because, you know, the priests are saying, don't do this, uh, even though we're all sinful. The priest is literally a person with sin. <laughs> but that's. Uh, kind of part of being human is, I guess, having to deal with the fact that you're inherently uh, not perfect. And we're all doing, we're all like, there's nothing, there's no perfect perfection guide that we can lead to, which is kind of why God is almost important in a way, but that's another episode entirely. We have this ideal of, you know, the mostest of all the toastists. Uh, but just practically speaking, can, like, do you have any idea why? Maybe you don't know either. But like, why are they saying that there's this expert skin color um, specialist telling you, all of your employees, that you know because of your skin color you're this, and because of your skin color you're this? Like, the whole approach to it is so ass backwards. It's like nobody notices or recognizes it. To have one person as an authority on unconscious bias, for them to understand unconscious bias, they would also have to be human and, and have unconscious bias. So it's one thing to, to train people and show them how to pick it out in themselves. But the approach that they're doing with like McCarthyism, where they go around accusing people, oh, yeah. that is the opposite of helpful. Like, yeah. We need to find all the communists. Well, let's, let's look at everyone who's been to a communist meeting. Well, under McCarthy, I'd be kicked out of my government job if I was in that era and working in the government. Because oh, totally. I had, You'd be I in had, jail. Yeah. See my I left episode because uh, I had been a communist. And see now, my socialism episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I definitely am not now. <laughs> but the thing is, is that I, I base 
there, there, there's an entire philosophy of um, victimization and making right the wrongs of history. And it sounds good. There, I'd say there's nothing actually based in, in reality or logic, but it's, it's a rejection of, there's an inherent rejection of truth and reason, uh, going along with it. It's because you can say, well, this doesn't make sense. You know, who are you to throw the first stone? Uh, you know, the old adage, you know, let ye who is without sin, uh, throw the first stone. That's going to probably become the quote, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, and so, but they're saying, well, no, because I have a, I, I, I have an inherent institutional victimization. This I, I'm able to speak on this, and so you align with not reason, but with emotion. And what it sounds good can be actually true, because subjectivity is what's more indicative of um reality than anything else because the personal subjectivity matters more than anything else so if a black person says they're uh you know um a victim well then they're a victim you know that whole believe all women thing and so what happens is you if you speak out against the church you are inherently a heretic you're inherently uh someone who um you know well, you become like instantly like, I don't think this is right. And then, you know, apostasy. And then everyone becomes, uh, you know, look at the heretic, look at the apostate, look at them. Everyone see this is the face of the devil. This is the face of, you know, the, the racist, the horrible person. And it's just Joe. Well, I think that right there causes more racism, like yes. more than anything. I oh, think yeah. that when you point a finger and guilt and shame somebody publicly for their skin color, they're going to be more likely to have a distasteful affect towards other skin colors. Right. Look at what you've caused all this pain and shame on me just for your skin being black. Like, if you can get away with anything, like one of the things that hurt me the most. Um, now, I've been I've been a victim of racism. Uh, last Canada Day was horrible. Um, some indigenous fellow. Uh, we also he's not indigenous. He's a jerk. It has nothing to do with him being indigenous. He, you know, called me something I'm not going to repeat, uh, an indigenous swear, uh, on, on Canada Day, blew smoke in my face and, you know, was asking for a fight. And I'm just like having, I mean, I was in Jasper. I was having fun with my wife on Canada Day, uh, you know, enjoying what is Canada Day, which is why I had that Canada Day episode because I was just incensed. The other thing that happened on Canada Day was in Winnipeg, they tore down the statue of the Queen and they're all crying, being like, oh, you know, we're finally fighting back against the colonial power. It's like that colonial power has been dead. It's yeah, really. What's time. the Queen done in Canada other than visit and pay us? <laughs> yeah. And so, well, she's a symbol. Well, no, she's not a symbol. She's a symbol of an ancient uh, thing that doesn't actually exist anymore. She's, she's literally a, a relic. And so, <laughs> I felt that this was an attack and we weren't allowed to, like all the news, the police were just standing there, letting it happen, letting uh, vandalism happen. And we weren't allowed to do anything about it. It was just this wanton destruction because it's in the name of, you know, tit for tat. We were victimized, therefore we get to victimize, which is not part of the Western code of justice 
That's it's not also how not how we fix uh, problems. No, like which, is why we, which is why we don't have that in our justice system. Well, he punched you in the face and the judge says you get to punch him in the face, which isn't fair because, you know, if – if if I punch someone who's just 300 pounds of muscle in the face, tit for tat, he gets to punch me in the face, that's not going to be a fair punishment. And then the circle of violence, see our forgiveness episode. Right. And that circle of violence is like a firefighter rushing to a fire with fire. Right. Like not now, putting out with water, but using fire to try and put out more fire. Right. That's and what me it is. seeing this, and I know that they're like native people. I know they're indigenous people and I can't hold it against the indigenous people for doing this. I can hold it against the individuals for doing that. But someone who's not as enlightened, I can definitely understand being damn those native people for doing that. They, 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 they accuse the group, which is causing, like you just said, exactly the response opposite to what they want. Now, maybe not opposite. If you are a canny revolutionary, you would form an opposition where there isn't one. And I do not want to get into that because that can get very conspiratorial real fast. And I don't know if that's what's happening. I'm sure there's a lot of people saying we need to create our enemy, create the right so that we can fight it. And, but I don't think that's exactly what's happened. You get the black bloc people and the Antifa people going around looking for victimization. I've seen this at multiple um, uh, protests that I've been at, you know, observing at, and they would just yell at the cops and get them to attack them to create this victimhood. Look at what's happened to me and they create an other of themselves. The problem is, is that they also don't have individuality. They're seeing themselves as a group. Uh, the whole philosophy doesn't see. And this is, I think, the other block in the uh in the building of this and that that this test represents is that when you don't see people as individuals you can see them as groups and then you can say stuff like white people are racist well why it's inherent to who they are it's in your genetics I've heard that a couple times uh and so well it's not how genetics works um and but if you deny, say, okay, people don't work as individuals. Individuals are constructs of their group and their surroundings and their histories. And so you have people, people actually align with their identity groups. When you do this, what happens is the individual gets lost. The individual is something selfish. The individual is something um, that is apostasy. And so you can ignore the individual while you're just doing this because that's what your group does. That's, that's the type. That's just your philosophy. That's just, you can just ignore that. And so when there's no groups, you can show that certain groups have uh, certain attributes by applying a bias association test, a flawed test to show what you want to show and then perform the inquisition and the exorcism, which was, which is, the anti-bias training upon these people. And so the thing about it is that this is extremely racist because you're essentially putting certain groups over others. Now, in Canada, we already have certain groups delineated from others. See Quebec, uh, see language laws, see this, which are, I guess, this. But when you say something like white people are racist, that's racist. When you have a conception that some races are entitled to different things than others, 
that's racist. That's also other thing is because, you know, you can make any group you want. And that's the problem with grouping people together in anything other than individuals um, is that, like I said, there's more diversity within groups than between groups. Like if you've had a family reunion, you'll see this. <laughs> every family has got reunion, that uncle, right? Yeah. Every family reunion, you go to a family reunion of any family of any race and it'll be, it'll kind of have that same feeling, but you'll all see the panoply of humanity in every family reunion. Like there's the quiet kid, there's that one uncle, there's the that one uh, aunt or grandma that just kind of holds everything together through her baking. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, less. food was always big with my crazy family. Yeah. The food may change. But Hi, crazy family. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris's friend. Uh, uh, well, one of you. <laughs> but there's still humanity there and that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's like we are all humanity together and um, you can't convince me otherwise. Um, we're all individually human. We're all human as a group. And can I make a comment just on the group thing there? Yeah. Um, I, I find it really strange. <laughs> I, again, sort of harp. Um, I don't mean to harp on the approach thing, but I really think that's critical to this whole test. Is it's a it's an approach to bi um, bias fixing or correction, right? Yeah. So we say if I see a black person steal, um, we don't want the actions of an entire group being placed on the actions of an individual, like you no. were saying with the indigenous person who mouthed off to you and, you know, was really disrespectful. We yeah. don't want to judge the group based on an individual. But right. on the flip side, the fix to this seems to be that they want the group to take responsibility and get punished for the actions of a few individuals from that group who are racist. Because mm -hmm. it really is a tiny minority of even racist people who are aggressively racist. Most people don't want to harm other people. It makes them uncomfortable and it hurts them too. No. So like even racist people don't try to hurt people. Well, this Usually. is – no, to, to, to fortify your point, this is shown in a lot of um, military training, um, specifically the book On Killing uh, by <laughs> – That's um, astute. That's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Go read it. It's hard to read but um, let me just find the author quickly. No, I'll look it in the description. Just yeah. let me know after. So the book on killing essentially states that it's actually hard to get people to kill. 95% of people that enter combat won't actually shoot to kill, uh, won't actually be inclined to kill unless you like corner them or uh, indoctrinate them, see China, or train them to snap uh, attack. So what this is, is um, bad guy, bad guy. And so you get them to attack without thinking, aim for the center of mass. You know, bad guy, aim, shoot, center mass. And so... Which is effective. Like it it's works. effective. If you need people to go out there and kill other people so that you don't die, like that's useful to right. desensitize people. I want to make sure that's clear on the, on the record. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's somewhat desensitizing, but it, it's, it's, not even, it's not even getting them to think about it. It's getting them to, well, we're having a war and we need to destroy this Panzer Grenadier Division. How do we do that? Well, if everyone's shooting over their heads, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. You need... You need at least 50% of the people to be actively trying to kill the other team. And so, because, you know, 25% uh, are going to hit combat and just be like, their body, everything about them is just going to be like, nope. And just, it happens. You never, yeah. as far as we can tell, you can't know if you are going to be um, able to actually exist in combat until you've actually gotten there. Someone very close to me in my life found out um, a couple of years ago that they were actually able to function in combat 
which was very actually scary for them because they realized that they were the type of person that wouldn't need to go through much training to aim for the center mass. And this person I'm talking about um, is a very gentle, caring person, but they have the mental state and the capability to work in combat. I don't even know if I could, you know, if, 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 if it happened, if the apocalypse happened and I had to actually use my firearms to defend myself or my neighborhood or something, you know, but then like, who knows, I could fall apart and be like, my body and my psychology could be like, nope, 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 nope. But with training, you can get people to not think about it. The enemy division. Or repeated exposure too. Repeated exposure helps. But one thing they found out in World War II was that even the hardest of soldiers only are useful on the front lines uh, for about 90 to 120 days. Um, You can see this in the book Citizen Soldiers by Stephen Ambrose, who is a bit of a boaster, but he's got good books. Uh, I think Band of Brothers mentioned it too. That was part of the plot line. That's the same author. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so he, this is people generally are disinclined to want to, uh, hurt each other, but you give them a good reason and you can make the smallest people act in the most horrifying ways. Um, see ordinary men, uh, the people who were just random people who were recruited to become, uh, uh, Jew hunters in Poland during World War II. And so, with an ideology, and this just goes back and citing a lot of stuff, with citing our activism episode, you with an ideology you can where is that allows you to um, ends justify the means something, you can justify some pretty gosh darn terrible things. These people are evil, therefore I don't feel bad about killing them. Uh, these people are apostates these people are tools of the devil they're heathens they're heretics there's these all these things they're racists there's this and that they're i don't know i've heard some people be like well they're republicans it's just like (laughs) yeah and it's just like no republicans are just people that have different economic uh perspectives than you yeah and they're from the south and they have that history and some of them a lot of the noisier ones are annoyingly noisy but most of them are just people like you living in a different spot who have different economic opinions deal with it so (laughs) and then and they might and the thing is is that you can learn to move about it if you have an economic opinion or you have some kind of opinion it's been shown that you can move out of that. You can have an implicit bias against black people. But then there's that guy going around in the States having conversations with KKK members. And after one or like a night of beers with them, he convinces them to give up their ways. And he's got a closet full of KKK robes that he's proud to just have in his closet because he, these are the robes that represent people who have given up and renounced racism and uh, that kind of institutional racism that they're actually hating. Um, People can become better. They can come back to rationality. And And that sort of train of events is also very common. It's common enough to be in movies. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Crash is a wicked movie for that. Oh, yeah. Further back. Yeah. But further back was American History X. That was like the entire plot line to the movie was that. 
and he comes he goes to jail sees how stupid it is comes back goes no no that's dumb yeah and how <laughs> common is that too like even on the flip side you got black guys that wind up in jail and they spend their entire lives hating white people and then they have a, a white celly and then you know they get to talking they spend a lot of time together and eventually your opinions change so I think that's a point of optimism with all this negativity uh, surrounding like propaganda and how how we can learn to be desensitized to even taking another person's life um, yeah. through exposure and practice and all that. On the same token, to that same extent, I think we can teach people to be cognizant of other racial dilemmas or um, conflicts or issues that come up in their in their lives. There but we can do it. <laughs> we can do it without like. Um, like an inquisition, like you said, without putting people on trial and blasting them on record and slandering them on Facebook and social media or making them quit their jobs and screwing up their careers. Like if somebody's just ignorant, mm -hmm. the solution is to just help them fix it. And if they're willing to help fix it, why do we need to crucify them? Like I really, really don't get the approach to finding this type of like demon to hang up and string on the uh like a pillory in front yeah. of an entire audience of the world the media is going along with it not be angry like i said in the last episode like you get companies like toronto dominion bank who coat all their uh their banks in the pride flag you know making me like think that the pride flag you know and then you have uh the pride parades actually just go around and have explicit sexuality on display uh, in thing. And I'm just like, no, your, does your bank actually stand for this? Well, we're, we're, our bank is for understanding. Our bank is for, you know, is for justice. No, your bank is for money. That's what a bank's for. If my bank isn't for money, then I don't trust them. Like, I want them to be money hungry. I want them to be grubby. I want them to be a little yeah. gnomish because – their That's their job, their function. Is, my money's in that bank. You better care about my money <laughs> and only my money. And, or I'm going to one that will because that's your job. It's just like if, if I go to a mechanic and they don't have a bunch of pictures of cars and like hot rods up there, I'm going to be like, do you even like cars? Like if they have like pictures of, if it looks like a, like a cute little tea shop, I'm going to be like, I want someone obsessed with cars to fix my car. <laughs> Words. And, so, and so when, but the media itself, and I'm like the media, the traditional media is what I'm saying, is going around saying, you know, this is the way we should think because they're listening to what sounds right. What will get them not, what will get them the least amount of, uh, of reaction in the media? Well, say, Oh, well, this person's doing so much for, uh, the black people of America. Well, it sounds good, but what are they actually doing for the black people of America? Well, they're trying to bring them socialism. <laughs> my kind, my demonized socialism, not Chris's, um, regulated free market. My textual yeah. socialism. Yeah. Yeah. So the bad type of socialism. <laughs> um, <laughs> the so, one we all agree is bad. Yeah, the one we all agree is bad. That's explicitly leading to communism. Um, well, the communism we all agree is bad. We do use the word <laughs> in two different ways, as we proved in that one episode. Like we both had a different definition of it, and both of those definitions were in fact correct. Yeah. Uh, so um, the I did I just agree with 
someone on the other side? My <laughs> gosh. Yeah, likewise. I'm, I'm, but the, I think that's what's really important to note, though, and what we do a lot in this podcast is we show there's common ground even between diametrically opposed uh, idea, ideologies. Mm-hmm. So it's not the case that anyone is ever right or wrong, except in like a measurement, not an observation, but like a measurement. Then yeah. you can definitively say this has this mass, this has this energy, like this has this color. You can say that because you can measure the the wavelength that it's reflecting. So well, we can measure certain things, but things like ideas of common ground or goodness or morality or virtue, guilt and shame, those things are all nebulous, like just intrinsically. It, to me, it's not so much. And there was a interview with a actually an engineer from around here that I thought was really interesting. Um, and she said something like, well, there of course is no truth. There's just what works. So what we know, like you can all have different opinions on something like uh, a bunch of those blind men who are all touching a different part of the elephant. And well, they're wrong, obviously, because it's an elephant. It's not a tree. It's not a snake. It's not a boa constrictor. It's not a rock or a mountain. It's an elephant. But they're wrong because those explanations don't work. And so what works is in society and what we've seen to work in the past 200 years after the enlightenment is if you if we treat everyone human and as equally human people live happier lives. If we don't do inquisitions, people live happier lives. If we just assume people aren't evil unless shown otherwise, Everyone lives happier lives. These are things that just straight up work. Now, the weird thing about it is that we don't actually know why some of this works. We just know that this works. We know why a bunch of it works. We know why freedom's better than whatever China's doing uh, because, you know, North Korea. <laughs> no one's happy there. The people that come out of there go, I, yeah, yeah, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> well, they don't say that because they're not Spanish. But, <laughs> so these when we assume certain things they they the then people have better lives when i just when i don't just go my neighbors are indigenous and they what would we be called um not as well off as me well they're not as educated they're not as they they live a different life but the kids come into the yard and i say hey guys this is Private property can't just run under my yard all the time. But would you like to see my garden? They're like, yeah. So I show them around. This is basil. This is this. This is this. And they actually like will come around and I'll give them a tour of my yard. This happened a couple times. Um, like I have boundaries, but I'm not unapproachable. And I'll like talk to my neighbors and I actually talk to them more than the other side because uh, <laughs> they're just outside more. And they're just living a different life. And if I were, they're going to live a better life and I'm going to live a better life if we just accept the fact that we're both just living our lives in our respective houses. That's just how it works. And so, so let's sort of talk about some solution then. Like what does work? If we know that testing and like this bias training isn't entirely ineffective because it obviously does something, it helps people stop and take stock and actually, you know, mindful of their own prejudices which is definitely good but you yeah. could do that with hand puppets and sock drawings and stuff so yeah it, it's Look, not like that's colors, the way it has we're to we're friends be. and get along but on the so other what side does that, work 
but one i don't know uh hold on oh sorry am i sorry. jumping ahead there was there was i'm trying to i've been trying to segue into one thing but i i think what does work i think would be a good place to stop but let me know because i wanted to get into one yeah, thing we'll do that first. at the end yeah yeah is that um <clears throat> is that there's uh page nine section two sorry there's one thing that is bugging me about these tests and about measuring implicit bias and about the inquisition is that there's the idea of implicit cognition where we have a process available through in not available through introspection so i can't look on the inside and change it i can't go in and be like that's the whole th one of the things that i think we've glossed over poorly sorry, sorry. <laughs> um we uh we can't change this by sitting. So we're talking about, well, if we talk about it to a black person, we'll understand their, if we talk to an indigenous person, we'll understand their perspective and we can either help them or leave them alone and not just be a jerk to them and everyone like them uh, because we understand that they're just people. This is, they, they assume that you're not able to do this. So not available through introspection, but affects our judgments and affects our actions. So these unavoidable and unchangeable uh, judgments are uh, affecting our actions and making us racist. So because I'm white, I have an un something about me being white and me being in the institutions and society that I have flawed, but it's better than anything that really came before. See everything before the Enlightenment. <laughs> Yeah, Thirty Years' War was a great idea. Let's just kill everyone in Munster because they're, you know, Baptists. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was a sorry. That was a bit of a deep, random pull. So the the biggest over my head. I, sorry. <laughs> um, there's a hardcore history episode on it. Um, essentially, the Baptists took over Munster, and the uh, the armies, uh, some German armies, sieged it for like three years and killed everyone inside. Oh, nice. Not, yeah. Well, Thirty Years' War was terrible. Um, and so, one of the critiques of this is that if it's in our society, we have um, morally we have moral responsibilities to do certain things. It's morally reprehensible to kill. Why? Because if you choose to kill somebody, you get first degree murder. If you accidentally kill someone, it's manslaughter. Knowingly killing somebody is worse than accidentally killing somebody. Why? Well, because you are showing a moral irresponsibility towards the lives of others. So the critique here is that can one be held morally responsible if one is not in control? So if you are not able through introspection to control your judgments of others, are you still morally culpable? for your racism. If I'm inherently racism, racist because I'm white, does that make me does that make it immoral for me to be racist? This is a very strange critique, but I, it, I don't think it holds water, but I'll let you finish. No. So the problem is is that if we're if we're if we're saying it's it's no, if it, racism no, I'm I'm of the opinion that racism arguing on their own terms because I believe that Racism is an immoral, immoral. Like actual racism is immoral because it's it's a, you're interacting with people in a negative way, knowingly for bad reasons. It's you're acting immorally. 
you're lying. And yeah, but the conflict with that is they believe their reasons are good. So right. it doesn't really jive because you're not you're not basing a judgment on a universal truth. You're basing it on a subjective truth. And that subjective truth, for the person being racist, they obviously think what they're doing is good. Right. But it's not in line with what we know about humanity in well, reality. We believe, yeah. Well, no we matter how strongly we believe it, though, another person believes strongly differently. So that's the problem with racism. You can't tell them that I'm right. What you have to do is show proof. Mm hmm. Right. And but you got to do it compassionately. You can't just bark it at them. You have to sit there side by side, shoulder to shoulder and say, okay, let me hear you out. Why don't you like black people? And then have them describe it and then show them where they might be wrong so that they can reconsider it. Right. Being told what to think never fixes somebody's mind though. But if I'm like, if I, okay, if I pass someone up for promotion because, because they're black, that's immoral. That's, yeah. That's, you're not, you know, you're not going... It's to you and I, it's immoral. <laughs> but if I don't do that, and if I hire a black person because of their merit, and then someone comes in and tells me, oh, you failed the implicit bias test, you're inherently racist. Is that immorality? Because I can't, if I can't control, even though I'm doing not giving, if I'm not caring about what it is, if the implicit bias test shows I'm racist, Am I actually like, does that actually matter on a, on a moral level? Because they're claiming according to their own rules that I can't change this and it's something inherent to who I am. So is it immoral for a bird to fly? Well, a bird to fly or a bird to attack uh, or a cat to attack a bird. It's inherent to what it is. They see a bird and they're, they just start salivating. They'd be like, I want to go chase that thing. And so that's inherent to what they are. And so that's natural. And that's a good analogy because you can teach a cat not to, to chase birds. Oh, they'll want to. Yeah, and they'll want to, but you can teach them not to. And that's sort of what we're trying to do with racism. We're not, mm -hmm. or what they should be trying to do. Like what their actual aim should be is to abate racism so that it stops causing harm. Right. If, if their Which aim is to control people's minds, that's an immoral aim for the, the test itself. Right. And so it, it should just claim, point out where they need to look. That's all. Well, the claim is that if I if I hire a black person, I did it because I'm trying to look not racist, and like I'm so because no one can see into each other's minds, you can just ascribe motives to people, you know, like the which Nazis. is constant, like the TD reference you made. Yeah, and so like if I hire a, a, a Aboriginal person. Then I did it because I'm trying not to look racist. I'm complicit in the system. I'm doing it for nefarious purposes. I'm immoral. So everything I do is of a racist nature. It has something to do with racist. And this is so whether or not my critique is valid, what's happening is on the basis of this entire thing, and now I guess we can, after this, we can get into how to, what we can do is the basis of the entire thing isn't looking for whether or not there is racism it's people going into companies and institutions and schools and classes and all the way everywhere looking for the racism that they is they assume is already there they're not is there racism where is the racism and this is dangerous because this is an inquisition it's not is the devil in this town Where's the devil in this town? Someone's going to pay. Someone's going to die when the Inquisition comes into town. And this is why I'm against this. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I really don't think it should ever be used to assess like the extent or degree of somebody's racism. It yeah. should just be a way of um, identifying problematic areas, not the opposite and showing how great somebody else is. Like it, it doesn't measure on the upscale. The only part of the test measures on the downscale, just like IQ. It only matters if you're below 90 or below 80 or below 70 for a medical diagnosis. Everything yeah. to the upside is irrelevant. <clears throat> it's just proof that you're not mentally disabled. Right. And it's, it's really a tool to help understand what bias is. It's a, it's a, it was created as a tool to, un, to better understand human psychology, which is a lot different from helping understand the, the motives and biases of individuals. And it's actually a good stepping stone on understanding how human bias works because that's the job of psychologists. How does human bias work? So we make, you know, just like IQ tests, how does intelligence work? So we make an IQ test to measure it in a different way to see how intelligence maybe might function differently on a different test. And so we have a bunch of different types of tests to see how the animal of intelligence or the animal of bias might work under different circumstances. Because the better we understand things like bias from a evolutionary, from a genetic, from a sociological perspective, the better we can understand the way we are as people. That has nothing to do with me as an individual. It has nothing to do with uh, how my uh, my coworker might think of me. The best way to l the best way to interact with your coworker of a different race or a different thing is just to talk to them. You don't need a test to get to know somebody. You can just talk to people. And if you're afraid of it, tough. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side, the people that get talked to, you know, like th there's always. Um, the white person in the crowd meeting a black person for the first time and they want to touch their hair. <laughs> it's just an impulse that every white person ever has ever had when they see something different, right? Yeah, or you get like it's so any, on the flip side, anyone different, like you get that picture of that uh, Asian guy who went to Africa and all those like black kids are just being like, you know, they're doing the, the, the exactly. <laughs> and that's what I mean. On the flip side, it's the same for the, the cameraman or journalist from time magazine or national geographic walking through tribes in Uganda or something, you know, where they've never seen white people before some of those kids yeah. and they want to touch them and look at them and examine them because that's human nature. Could you imagine and, if you've never seen silk or polyester and some guys just casually wearing a, <laughs> a, a, an a artificial fiber shirt and it's just like, what even is this? Like, yeah. This the thing is, that's just in, that's, that's human curiosity. Like that's intrinsic it. to our nature. That's the stuff that we can't control or change or whatever, right? Yeah. But what I think we can do is encourage the black person who gets the white guy come up to him and say, let me touch your hair, encourage them and help train them to not be, um, offended by it and to compassionately respond, Hey, that's really inappropriate. So that the guy like, doesn't keep doing it for the rest of his life. You know what I yeah. mean? Like well, the first so you learn racism out of people. That's how like we learn. Like you go to, we learn all the time like that. You go to a restaurant and you learn how the rules of that particular restaurant work. Oh, how do I do this? Oh, the forks are all weird. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then the waiter teaches you the rules of the restaurant and everything's different. Like, you, but when you fumble this. together, when you can laugh about it, it's mm -hmm. not racism anymore. It's just humans being curious and different. Mm -hmm. 
Like, if we're going to celebrate diversity, we have to celebrate the fact that people are going to have different ideas. And yeah. for an idea to exist, somebody must hold it. So people, there's always going to be insane people who believe in astrology or believe in the KKK's modes oh, of yeah. modus operandi. There's always going to be kooks. There's always going to be these people. But we just need to make it common enough sense and generally aware to everyone else to not tolerate it. And but that doesn't mean be like log them publicly and like hurt them intentionally as people for having bad ideas. Chances yeah. are, if they have a bad idea, somebody else taught it to them and they were raised a certain way and they suffered a trauma that made them susceptible to ignorance and, you know, well, hatred and things like that. Chances are that person is enduring something that makes them or enables them to believe in something that's insane. So approaching them as, um, as a patient as opposed to a combatant is way more helpful in changing the broad spec the broad spectrum of the entire case of all yeah. not just bias but like racism prejudice discrimination all of that yeah and like you get like if we if we pillory people for that it's a lot of well you get Foucault talking about like the first page of discipline and punishes uh, a, a public flogging that doesn't help well, what helps is well, he goes into like his old biopolitics thing, which is kooky, and but the whole thing is like we've moved past this and changed it into something different. Now we punish the body in a different way. But the thing is that we don't need to punish the body for infractions. We now have things called psychologists who can talk to these people. You know, someone goes around going like, "Oh, you know, the white race needs to be blah blah blah." It's like you shouldn't be thinking. It's like that's a racist. You should be thinking like, "I gotta need some help." Yeah, let's um, teach this out of them. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 give them reasons. Like I had some pretty darn bad ideas in the bat in the day, um, not just the ones I covered in my left episode. I was dumb. I had weird ideas. Everybody starts of, off dumb, and like I got reasons for changing my mind. And the best thing to do to change someone out is to, well, reason the way out of it. If you have a good reason for something, uh, then. It'll be good. But if you have a complex construct, now the people who are administering these tests actually believe the stuff. They have reasons for it, but it's a, it's a messy construct and it's, it's hard. And you can explain anything away by saying, well, that's just your subjective opinion or that's just your truth. I'm living mine. It's like, ugh, that's dangerous because it allows for anything to be true. But how and, arrogant would you have to be to walk into a room and say, I'm a professional at uh, racial sensitivity training? Like, <laughs> just to be the person administering this test and expecting people to assume that you're the expert on, uh, you know, some people do philosophy, some do math and calculus, and some people are inventing. Like, no, my job is I, I can tell white from black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's but, just so painfully obtuse. I don't know why people go along with this, in, especially in the workplace where they're teaching sensitivity training. There is a place for sensitivity training. I'm not saying it's not a thing. But if that's your only job, that's like saying my only job is to browse the internet. Like, what yeah. do you do for a living? If yeah. you just say everybody has a bias, let's try and help people acknowledge it. Well, like, that's what kindergarten teachers do since I was a kid. That so We've been doing this for generations just as side jobs, like my priest would do it if I made a racist joke in church. And, you know, my teachers would correct me. My, if I played hockey, the coach would correct me. Like, there's constantly adults in society teaching kids not to be like this because we all do it. 
Yeah. Like that works. Why do you need to hire an expert psychologist with a test to administer to see how racist somebody is? Well, and you're bringing up a really good point is that we already had this figured out. <laughs> yeah, we're like, just, it just takes we, time. We had That's it figured all. out. It's like slow. Martin Luther King was the guy who put the nail in the coffin. Like there was still systemic racism. Like, duh. Like America was racist. I can't say that Canada and America are racist nowadays, but this group is definitely making it more racist. They were bringing it back. Like 2010, 2011, we were doing great. Like no one cared. Everyone was stopping caring. There were a few less and less people were caring that racists were dying off. But we're bringing it back because it's cool. And But we have laws. We should just enforce those. If somebody's harassing somebody, that's well, illegal. Like they, that's, that's It a, doesn't need to be labeled a hate crime. You don't need to punish it worse than everything else. You don't need to have, have them do human like... rights laws. Why do, we need, why do we need hate crime laws? Hate crime laws, I'm... That's another episode that I would rant Well, like about. spray painting something, I agree, is a hate crime because you're advertising it and you're broadcasting it, right? That's different right. from beating some individual up for being of a certain affiliation no. or whatever. This is the other thing is that... Uh, oh, man, I got like two points here. One of them is um, we're teaching people to be like this again, and I'll get into that. But it, the thing about it is you get spray painting something on the wall is a great example because this is a lot of what's happening in our society... Well, it sounds high-minded, but whatever. I see it a lot. You spray paint a, you know, um, racial slur or of some sort on a wall. Now, what law is being broken? You're defacing a wall. Well, okay. And what needs to be done is a slap on the wrist because you're you're being an asshole. And it's it's and community an service. Have them go wash yeah. a whole bunch of walls. Like <laughs> they pay a fine, but then they want to say, well, that's not good enough because I want them, I want them pilloried by the Inquisition. And that's not what our law code does. Everyone wants our law code to be something it's not. He should be fined for defacing public property or community service. That's what he put away for. No, I want to put and away for community service. I want to put away for immorality. I hate graffiti people. Honestly, it's just it's one of those things that just bugs me. I don't I care love the people. Writing. I hate hate crimes though. They really yeah. bug me. <laughs> But yeah, they should clean the wall and yeah. pay for the paint to clean well, the wall. People That's want, just my people see it as an injustice. Yes, he wrote something you didn't like and he's getting punished. Well, he's not getting punished for the thing I want. So we need to make a law that when you're, when you write something on the wall, you, you, you write, you get a harsher fine because you're, you're, you're insulting people. And Britain's the worst offender for this right now because they've got those hate speech laws where, you know, you get that guy who taught his dog to Heil Hitler. <laughs> and he got like i'm sorry cop- that's funny though like yeah it's as, so a, funny. as as a jew like that's still funny <laughs> he's 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 it's it's funny and he got he got he got the cops coming well he didn't commit a crime well then why are you taking me away well there's still things so you can't say things in britain you can't say things online there's thought police over there there's literally thought police and that's and a slippery slope. That is like – my wife doesn't like slippery slope comments, but I'm definitely – this is one of them. <laughs> and I I think the ability to talk to people reasonably is the only thing that's going to get rid of racism. And if we limit the way people talk, it's going to enforce Or make them because, scared to have an idea. Yeah. It's like, well, I want to talk – you know, you can't have a conversation with a black person, honestly, if you are limited in your speech. 
Or if you get accused of hatred for it. like What happens if you make a mistake? What happens if, you know, you don't know. It's like, oh, this is the first black person I've ever met. I want to talk to them. I want to get to know them. I want to know. And that's the thing. That extends because as you become their manager, then there's a power control dynamic, right? And then you got to worry about workplace environment and you got to worry about like all these other liabilities come into play just because of somebody's skin color. And you're like, wait, I thought we were supposed to not. We were trying to minimize the effect of people. Uh, of events occurring or actions taking place because of skin color. Yeah. Our, our goal is to minimize that. And the outcome is people worry about it as a liability or a yeah. token, you know. Well, the antidote is not tokenism, but it's... it's no quotas it, and no liabilities, no punishments. Yeah. It should just like, be conversation, you up, like you said. If you have a conversation and you screw up by talking to, you know, an indigenous person and you, oh man, I didn't know you didn't, you guys didn't like that. You should be able to say that. You shouldn't have to be like, I have committed an offense because of my whiteness, blah, blah, blah. No, no you should pay. Be, it should just be like, oh, sorry, man, I didn't know. But, you know, now I know. Tell me about that. That's how that's how relationships get made. Free speech allows us to make relationships on equal terms. And that and leads to peace. That, yes. Always. And we're not teaching that in the university. And this is where this is coming from. But we're we have people who aren't allowed to use non- feminist sources, you know, in classes. We have people that are being forced to hear um, stuff. They, they have struggle sessions straight out of Mao, uh, Mao's Red Book and that what they were doing in the Cultural Revolution in, in China, where, which killed tens of millions of people. Um, no exaggeration. Uh, a struggle session essentially is you get a bunch of people together and you find someone's unconscious bias then it was towards you know anti-revolutionaryism now it's towards you know sexism or this you find someone's sin now everyone has sin everyone has some indiscretion like you said that original sin we can find it we just have to you know I mean, you can make one up and it doesn't even have to be one someone has uh cardinal richelieu famously said you know find me an innocent person and I'll find something to hang him with or find someone who's never lied or that should be the quote for the episode. Yeah. I got to find that one. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, write that down. Yeah. I'll write it down. <laughs> so on, I got it. What we're being told is we're, we are doing these sessions and we're doing these things where people are being told, this is how you should think. This is how you need to think. Uh, and you know, people in class, these classes are like, "Well, I'm white," and I, it's like, "Well, you're inher- inherently racist." Or they'll they'll challenge them, and then they'll go about, they'll stay in the mod, like every all white people are racist. And they'll be or, like, well, "Can I touch I- your hair?" Racist. Well, <laughs> you get someone saying like, "Well, you know," asking one of these consultants who are paid exorbitant amounts of money, "What?" You know, I'm white. I don't, I don't like, I have lots of black friends and stuff. Am I a racist? And they'll go from the Mott, you know, all the white people are racist to the Bailey. Well, you know, it's a little more complicated and nuanced than that. So they like, it's, they're using a lot of these tools in order to make people guilty because guilt is what they thrive on. But they're not allowed to speak outside of this. If you if you talk about this, you're a Republican. I was like, wait, what? I'm not even American. <laughs> and you uh, or you're 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 a white supremacist. Or you're white. This like I've never advocated for supremacy of the white race ever. Like even in my stupid days. <laughs> um, and I I don't know. I am what I am, and I have to be that. But. When you're not, when you have to go through these like indoctrination sessions and call out, like find an apostate and they call them out, say, okay, you have this wrong with you. And then you have to admit it. They force them to admit something that they're really not guilty of. Uh, 
even though it's somewhat true, that uh, they see difference between people in, in society. You know, well, yes, I see black people as having different skin color. Look, there's black and there's white. It's the difference between a hockey puck and the ice. It's like, of course, everyone's going to notice that. So, they're guilty of it. And so, they force them to, in their guilt, you know, ask for forgiveness from the group or something. And they have now converted that apostate. They know the error of their ways. And a converted person is person that's gone through that trauma, come out the other side and is now a believer because, you know, they have been given power. Now, if you don't submit in the cultural revolution, they would just shoot you. Luckily, we can't do that here. But in classes, if you, in university classes, and this was happening towards the end of, when I started university, this wasn't happening as much. When I was ending university, this was happening. It's really what drove me away from it was the entire class was trying to find a consensus. And then I would argue against it because well, that's not really what the what the reading said. Or this That's also the was, purpose of school though. It's yeah, not to just all find out this, what we agree on. <laughs> to come to a synthesis, to come to a better understanding, maybe we'll all put our heads together because we're all uh, none of us are stupid as all of us, but, <laughs> but the challenge of thought—that's yeah, the purpose it's, it's, of it's university. Even if we don't come up with something, the yeah. effect the of it was we understand the the, 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 the the issue better. Even if it's something like you know public parks and you know inner city Edmonton or something, you know there's still issues with it. Well, you know the zoning laws are really weird in this thing. It's like, well, I didn't know that. Now we can tell me more about that. Well, I know that you know the transit system here is blah blah boring stuff. It's not always about race. And so when you're not allowed to use certain sources, when you're not allowed to use certain, you know, if you read John, if you read, uh, if you read John Stuart Mill, well, you're a racist. Well, John Stuart Mill was not a racist. Well, Heidegger was actually part of the Nazi Party. <laughs> he was a prominent figure there and lent That's them money. Right. Yeah, and. Um, well, and uh, you... So, it's common that people have bad ideas even if they're smart. Like, nobody's and immune so to it. Nobody. We're, getting, we're graduating people. We're indoctrinating people instead of educating them. And that's a lot of where this is coming from. And I'm like, it's honestly worrying me. And when you have this, a lot of what's coming out of it is like, well, we got to get rid of free speech. Why? Well, because people could advocate whatever they want. They could advocate hate speech. It's like, well, the other thing they could do with hate speech is have uncomfortable conversations with people of other races. Wouldn't that be terrible? <laughs> yeah, like the real punishment should be the person for the rest of their lives is on record having said something they'll later regret. Like eventually these people will probably learn that they were wrong their whole life. Well, that's And why... they'll be embarrassed as hell. And you won't need to throw any guilt at them, like any extra, mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll get enough guilt on their own from what they've already said. Well, ruling from fear doesn't work, but that's exactly what we're doing here. I got my, I have my name up here. My name. Well, not my full name. It's too long. And you have your name up here. We're putting our, uh, we're saying what we're saying. We know that our names and our reputations are going behind what we're saying. So we have to be darn sure. I don't know why I censored myself there of what we're saying because I am. I could, you know, face consequences for what I'm saying. Well, it's yeah, but I'm not going to live in fear of these people. I refuse to live in fear. And we may and, even regret but, saying something, right? Yes. Like, there's can, always that risk. Well, we both have come back and said, yeah, I was wrong in that episode and a couple times. And it's no big thing. But at the same time, that forces us to try harder. But at the same time, it gives us a lot more credit. For someone who wears a mask, um, you know, goes to their black block things, um, just look it up on Wikipedia. People that drag, drag, 
they dress in black and they wear their masks and they're anonym anonymous. If you go to a protest anonymously, well, unless you're in China, then you know you have to put up, you have to say this, and it gives us more credit because I'm putting what I'm saying and my I'm putting my reputation on the line for what I'm saying, and that is something big. If I'm and I'm doing that as an individual, you can trust me more because I'm not going to risk slipping up because I want to get a job in the future, well, a different job. And you know, if my clients see this and they don't agree with it, I could lose a client. So I'm putting this out there because I believe it to be uh, closest to the truth. And well, I've so far advocated against racism. I've advocated for you know, diversity, but I've also advocated against social justice and against inquisitional behavior and against uh, institutional racism. I don't think institutional racism is a good way of looking at the thing. So that could get me in a lot of trouble. Well, you don't believe that you know these people are victims? I think we're all victims. Like it's well, a, a political long- party of racists, specifically where they only subscribe to each other's racism. That's an organization of institutional yeah, racism, like. Nazi party had institutional racism. Yes, that's an institutionally in. racist system. Yes. Um, the, <laughs> but as, as soon as you start uh, censoring school stuff. Yeah, like the Southern discourse. Like the, the Confederate when you States start, of America. What, yeah, definitely you start, institutionally racist. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. When, when you start getting people fired from their careers that they've spent a lifetime building and you, you drag their, their souls through the mud for the merit of their caricature, yeah, character as, as people individual people not just like an employee who misspoke or something like that or a politician mm-hmm. but their their entire life's work should not be reduced to a human error no matter how egregious it is and like even if if we say something really bad that we later regret right i'll be able to admit that i was a human who made mistakes while trying to figure things out on camera mm-hmm. and i'm okay with that because i don't claim to be perfect I think my ideas are sound enough that other people should be able to help enlighten me if I tell them my ideas. They'll be able to respond to something and I'll gain more benefit out of it than I lose. Yeah. But to create that public shame as a form of punishment against people we disagree with today assumes that we today will never be enlightened tomorrow and think that today we said something that we we later regret. That's the thing about youth. At the moment, you don't feel young. It's later on down the road when you're wiser that you realize that you were a dumb little kid. Well, that's and why we give children a free pass to some extent because they're going to do stupid stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all humans will. They'll just do less of it over time. You're not responsible hopefully. for your actions. Why? Because you're 10 and you're going to have some <laughs> stupid actions. But you still sit the kid down and say, this is wrong. Don't yeah. keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's how we should be treating adults, not like uh, patronizing them. But we should be like, yo, dude, take him off to the side after saying something publicly loud that was offensive. Take him quietly off to the side and say, like, listen, that was offensive. It hurts my feeling. We can talk about it later. I just want to let you know. And I didn't want to, like, call yeah. you out in public for it. My because is that type that of character when... assault ruins people's careers and their life's work. And it, 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 like, tarnishes every other thing that they've done based on a, an accusation that's not sound um, well, for intent. There's no context behind it. Sometimes for me, it's the accusation is something so benign, like you have a house and therefore you're benefiting from racism. It's like, what? God forbid I enjoy, you know, property. It's like, oh, you, you got married and therefore you're oppressing a woman. It's like, I don't think so. I, <laughs> you need to like, honestly, that is, 
I've heard people argue that to me. And I, every time someone says it, I'm absolutely offended by that accusation because it's not often like you were, we're like a lot of what we're talking about is like you make a social faux pas. You do something accidentally racist, which is completely possible. Uh, Entirely so, possible in my you, case. <laughs> yeah. You kind of push that bound. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I push the bar. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of times, a lot of these people, because it's an institutional issue. So if you have a house, if you're complicit in capitalism, if you're uh, part of the institution of marriage, which is, you know, an oppressive thing, it's like, okay, anybody who says that has never been married to someone who they absolutely love and um, realizes that there's nothing oppressive about it. It's and so, or like having a house on a nice street, you know, where everyone on the street, like if, 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 if everyone on the street is taking care of their house and, you know, taking care of their property, you know, being pleasant, living with pleasant people, it doesn't matter what race they are. That's, that's a good place to be. And to accuse someone of immorality just because they've succeeded in having something beautiful in their life is evil. And it's evil from sour grapes. You don't have something. You are unfortunate in your life or holding yourself back or something. And you are going to take it out on the people who are succeeding or are working on their stuff or are doing this. You see this in every culture too. Um, the indigenous call their people who want to go to university they're like, oh, you're being an apple. You know, you're red on the outside and you're white on the inside. It's like they'll look at you and they mock them for trying to better themselves, God forbid. Um, and that's like I've, I've met people who are just like, yeah, I went to school and my family disowned me. It's like, but I've got a job now, so I don't care. That was – I think I met that guy at Occupy and I learned that that was a thing. And I was like, that's horrifying. But every culture does this. You know, you have people with sour grapes who want to bring people down with them. And that's evil. That's just like there is evil in the world. And that's one of the things that is evil. Arbitrary um, uh, imposition of justice on the innocent. Like, I'm uh, that's but again I think we should show compassion to the way to the the roots of it right so the person who's trying to bring down their best friend for going to school is probably dealing with an insecurity and self-esteem problem that we're we're not fixing or helping like the racist that that person needs our compassion yeah exactly they need our help and what well the problem isn't that the problem isn't when like we need to get that person maybe some help. What do you need? Like social worker? Like do you need some guidance? Blah, 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 blah. But when they come up with stuff – now, I've been in dark places before and you come up with some like, oh, I just want people to – like I just want to get back at people and I understand that. But when you – you have to fan the good flames and smother the bad ones and when you enable things like, oh – well, you're only sad because of the fact that you are indigenous and, you know, being oppressed something. It's like, well, what is that individual person doing to better themselves? Well, they're raging against the machine. That's not useful. It feels good. That's why we have a band called Rage Against the Machine. And so yeah, and they it, just scream a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so they uh and it's fun to rage against the machine to some extent. When something in when something randomly injustice when some random injustice happens to you which it will and it will happen like every three weeks because you know the weather can change and a tree could fall in your garage and now you have to pay money to fix a garage that's injustice it's not just but you have to deal with it so you it's rage against that <laughs> yeah 
you 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 yell at god or the wind or the weather or something and then you get over it and then you fix your garage and that's what we need to help these people do is fix themselves become the better self of themselves that doesn't just look for a scapegoat and sour grapes and there's a lot of people and we're we're allowing these we're allowing this on mass out of uh some need to balance the books on some weird equation of race that doesn't have any basis in reality. Whereas normal people will allow them, but we have a lot of university students that are saying, no, 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 you need to do this. Keep yelling because your individual feeling is what's important, not getting better as a human being. And we're letting evil seep in to some extent. And it's hurting a lot of other people when all we need to do is talk, help, be compassionate, lift people up instead of push people down. And I think that's what I have to say on that. <laughs> I think the the best approach to me would be to find the sources of continued perpetuating instances. Like for for example, just this will be in a glossy hypothetical world, but like let's say a native girl goes home, she's living with a roommate, her roommate's her best friend, she says, I'm going to sign up for school and I'm going to get a loan and I'm going to put myself in debt and it's going to be you know, part-time work in the evenings while I'm studying. Life's going to be hard and I'm going to do it though because that's what I want from life. If that best friend then turned around and said, oh, you're, you're trying to be white or you're changing who you are or anything like that, that's yeah. the person we should be trying to help. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should also help the girl go to school and everything. But the one who's perpetuating yeah. these types of bad ideas to sit and rest on the easy side of racism and victimhood, those are the people that we need to show and empower. Like, look, even you can do this if you choose to. And if you choose not to, that's okay. Um, you can be whoever you want because you're worth it. Like, if we told those people that they were, they were individuals and humans that we, uh, we support and love equally among all people, I think less people would hear that uh, that type of echo that reinforces their biases and prejudices. I think that's the best way to, to, to nip it in the butt, so to speak, is not to just all at once up front be like, here's a test, here's a solution, here's your training. It should be a gradual lifelong thing where they just stop hearing negative things about their race. Um, that, I, that to me is how you fix racism. It's never going to be done with an instance or a police or like designation of... Uh, an exaggerated uh, an exaggeration in law like a hate crime makes one assault twice as bad just mm -hmm. because it's a hate crime yeah. like i call it like the devil coefficient you're basically just putting a number in front of x to say how much times worse it is than something that well, otherwise double wouldn't. jeopardy um that's uh in canada and america's constitution it's like english common law one of those things you can't be tried twice for the same crime yeah like, if you, but you can be punished twice for the same crime, but you can't be tried twice. <laughs> well, no, I'm joking. What, that's what they're doing with a hate crime yeah. is they're doubling this, the punishment for the same crime. Yeah. And what it does is it ends up to restrictions on what we can do and say. And it makes people resentful. People oh, yeah. who see that and who say like, hey, my friend only got two years in jail for an assault. And this other guy got my brother got five. I'm going to be like, you guys are racist and everyone's against me and I'm angry now and I'm going to fight the system. Like you're, they, they perpetuate the mentality by uh, sick, um, singling it out mm -hmm. and exaggerating it with a coefficient, the devil coefficient, saying like it's this much worse just because it's a hate crime or it's intent or whatever. And that does make sense in cases like murder. 
that the reason it makes sense in the case of murder is anybody can accidentally kill somebody else by being dumb. Like when you and I were fooling around, we could, any one of us could have slipped off a building and died and, you know, oh, the other would have been... We could have ran into a accident. car when we were driving around like idiots and slammed into a family that had no... Yeah. Like that had no reason or uh, like it would have been... And I'm not justifying our actions either. We would have no, been punished. It would have been unjustifiable. Yeah. Like, but it's not the same as planning it out and saving up money and putting a, a stash in a numbered company offshore to pay off your assassin. Like, that's totally different. Going that far out of your way to try and get around the law and murder somebody is obviously worse than kids having fun and just being stupid and ignorant. Mm -hmm. So, but to put that in front of a hate crime, if the person believes in the hate crime stuff, why would they think any different? There's nothing for them to reconsider. They don't have the opportunity to stop and think about how how terrible their actions are beyond the actual assault because they don't see the racism as a problem. So calling something a hate crime and punishing them twice for it doesn't make them less racist. It's going to make them more angry that somebody retaliated against them for having ideas and because of the color of their skin. That's going to make them more racist. You're going to radicalize more people with hate crime punishments. Right. And, and then you're going to get... Like the only reason I get, agree with you're, you're it is because of... That, you're going to create that other and that enemy that you want. Like, and then you're going to have this nice, neat, you know, fascists fight the communists duality, which has no basis in reality. Um, and, or whatever ist that you want. And it ends up being too simple with no nuance and has no bearing on reality. And mm. when something and it doesn't address simple, the problem of no. human nature. Like, it doesn't do one thing to actually prevent the problem from happening again. And to me, a law should be preventative more than enforced. I would much rather see murders not happen because of our law than to see a bunch of people tried for murder. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It should discourage people from doing things that are adverse that you don't need to do. Like nothing in the law that's against the law prevents you from like eating, um, getting companionship or acquiring property and getting the fruits of your labor like or that, the law is meant to protect those things or as even something as rudimentary as seeking forgiveness and like not forgiveness as in like bowing before uh, a group of racial entity and asking like kowtowing that's not forgiveness mm. that's sub that's um subordination that's not what we want here we're in we are all citizens of our nations here in canada america uh, France, all the democracies of the world, we are citizens, which is very, very important. That's a word you should hold very dear because it means we're all equal to one another in society under the law and as people, as human, as human of different abilities. But that's the diversity that that freedom allows us to, you know, uh, leverage to do all the wonderful things that we can do in society. And when we create differences between people, which is why when we were talking about our uh, citizen uh, service guaranteed citizenship, uh, your, your major critique was, well, you're creating a, another class of people. And, and that's why in society, when we ever there's some, there's an opportunity for someone to be like, oh, that would be neat, but you're creating another class of people. So no, because the sacred status of all that we all have, and I use sacred consciously, is that we are all equally human in a society together. There's no government above us. The government serves us. I'm forgetting that. And we have to understand that when you make citizens 
subject to other citizens, when you subordinate them to others, that's not healthy in a democracy. And you end up with what Chris is describing, you know, people who are just able to go around doing, you know, laying out judgments, making injustice. Citizens can bring each other up, which is kind of what we're saying, you know. We can see the error, the deficiencies in other citizens and lend a helping hand. The government doesn't need to step in because we have a bunch of citizens available to be like, are you okay? Can I, is there anything I can do to help? And people do this all day. That's why we have soup kitchens. That's why we have help in like resource centers. That's why we have like, uh, crisis addiction, lines and stuff addictions like that. counselings because citizens want to help citizens equals. They see these people who are in the mud, who are having the worst life they could have, and they see them as an equal enough to help them and bring them up. And that's important. And, and that should be what we're striving for in a society, right? Like if I want to raise kids, I, I can't always be there for my kid and my kid might not wind up having any friends. Like if my kid is completely alone and has no way to take care of themselves and I'm out of the picture or something, like we should want to live in a society that if somebody falls off, they get picked up. Mm. And it shouldn't be the first line of defense, like the government services or social services or welfare or anything like that. But it should definitely be the last line. Like right. some, there's there's a bare minimum that we should offer people, like mental health, for instance. Yeah. If somebody doesn't have a family to commit them and take them to the hospital, friends. somebody should yeah. still take them. Yeah, family, friends, uh, and like the the government's there as a net. Well, we said this before. It's a, it's a, it's a safety net. The last but we should defense. want that to be there, even if it's yeah. never used. It should be there. And I think, I don't know, I, I think if we have commissars or, or, or Einsatzgruppen or uh, Antifa or uh, KKK or Inquisition going around, it's hurting us on a massive level and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm worried about it. This is why I'm talking about it. This is why I'm ranting about it because I'm worried. And... I think that's where I'm probably going to leave it. Just, I think I just wanted to reiterate one point I made earlier too is about yeah. the authority figure. As soon as you set up or establish yes. some type of um, constraint or constr uh, controls over how people need to govern themselves in, in a civilized society, as soon as you put somebody in charge of that, that group or operation, like the FDA or the FTC or the CFTC or... Uh, or especially the market regulators like Finch and Standard and Poor and Moody's, like they're all they're all carried by or susceptible to corruption by people who are running them. So you have to be really care careful about the power you instill in an authority that gets to determine what is and isn't racist to which and which degree, because you're also giving a human being that same control over other people's life and death specifically their career and stuff, not to make it too sensational and talk about death. But when it comes to healthcare, whether you give somebody healthcare or you write them off as some racist nut, like giving them mental health might save their life. So we shouldn't be identifying this to demonize people or criminalize people. We should be only looking to identify racism to find areas in where people are uneducated and need education, but not in the sense that like, I'm going to train you in a concentration camp. Yeah. In, in the, the calm, compassionate sense is how could you possibly think that? Let me help you. Well, like everything in our society, this should happen on the individual level, not in the institutional level. If we put our, if we put our effort, like so many times in history, things have done, like you just said, into a 
into a into a great into a big man into a leader oh glorious fuhrer or uh first citizen um and uh then well you're not going to be able because individuals need that nuance you need to be at, you need to approach individuals on 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 that individual level you can only help people as an individual you can't help people as a group it just doesn't work what end what you end up with is dogma and uh, and you, you also can't assign individuals to an entire group of racists just for saying one thing ignorant or for doing one thing ignorantly or you know what I mean? If, yeah. you, if you're not making uh, an environment conducive to open discussion and then you expect people to just have some kind of enlightened knowledge of how to interact with other races like appropriately, um, that's ridiculous. We should expect that people need to learn how to be socialized because that's what we do for kids. So if a kid grows up and isn't perfectly socialized, as all humans are imperfect, this should happen just statistically. There should be some kind of mechanism for us to, to smooth and iron those, those deficits out of our system. The best way you can do that is just with a discourse that doesn't discourage people from discourse. So as soon as you start shaming or guilting people who aren't in the know but who carry an identity or a set of beliefs that um, are, you know, deviant to what we'd suggest is moral in these days. But just because they carry those doesn't mean they will forever carry them. And it also doesn't mean they're a criminal for having dumb ideas. Every human being has dumb ideas. Some are dumber than others, obviously. But everybody can be educated out of dumb ideas, too, which is the other side plot. If we can train people to kill and suppress their their um, revulsion to the idea of taking life of another person, then we can train that out of people who have a hatred or anger, um, probably premised in just insecurity for themselves. They don't believe they can do it. So they want to blame the entire race or species or whatever mm -hmm. on external factors that they could, if empowered, control within themselves. So I, I think most racist people, it's an identity issue, an uneducation issue, and it's perpetuated because we're not, um, we're not open to discussing it primarily. And secondly, because we're trying to punish people for it, which is like punishing a drug addict. Like it's a medical problem. You you can't punish the heroin out of somebody. Yeah. It's like, well, this is why we have, well, that's why we have needle centers. Cause yeah. But in the States, they don't, they punish people for it and they'll still lock up uh, drug addicts for having drugs for, for possession. Yeah. But I mean, they don't really enforce that in Canada because we're not dumb. <laughs> Whereas in the States, there's like an actual economy surrounded by like how many people you can lock up. So you pay off the police off the police department. So the police department rounds up more people. Politicians are happy because it looks like they're, they're tough on crime, even though all of the science says that being tough on crime doesn't prevent crime. We just ignore it. But <laughs> that's probably a topic for another day, though. I think I've said my two cents. Yeah. American prison system. I mean, need to get an expert in on that. But I think that's John a good place. Oliver's done it so many times, I wouldn't even bother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's a good place to let it go. Um, mm. Thanks for tuning wanna... in. You've been listening to Frivolous yeah. Gravitas with myself, Christopher Driver. As always, my faithful compatriot, Jordan Roy. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you want to give us a taste of what we're looking forward to next week? Next when, week, we're going to be talking about uh, Remembrance we got Day. a special coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So, next week, um, we're going to be doing a special for Remembrance Day. So, And we're nearing the end of season one. So, uh, yeah. keep tuning in to see some some new updates to the 
what do you call it? The flare, I guess. The frivolous gravitas flare. The aesthetic. <laughs> We're making things prettier, but only slightly, because we have seasons to go. You're already pretty enough for both of us, so. <laughs> Incremental improvement. That's the, uh, that, that's the, what do you call that? Uh, it's a good axiom. Motivational, yeah, an axiom for the day. That's what I was trying to get at. See? Right. Faithful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys around. Bye-bye. Bye.